What a great, great crowd is here this morning for this. I, I just got to tell you, and, and uh, I know Pastor asked us to be here, but I just got to tell you, I'm so impressed and thankful for you folks taking your time last night and this morning and uh, studying these things because these are important. Uh, I'm going to let you be seated, and uh, I, I just want to uh, get right in because I want to make great use of our time and max out our time. We're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to start with the scripture that we read last night, uh, verse 8 to verse 10. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 10. And right off the beginning, I want to show you something uh, about the New Testament. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, in Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking to Timothy. Um, he, he's, he's using the context of the church and the church gathering together to worship. And, of course, Paul had a ministry uh, that was much to the Gentiles. And so these are Gentile believers. He's writing to Timothy, who is the pastor. Uh, Timothy was a pastor in Ephesus, a metropolitan area. And uh, he's writing about the context of, here's what Paul says I expect and I want and God wants in the church. First Timothy 2, verse 8, I will, therefore, that men... Pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So right there we see something that uh, is very important. I think we miss sometimes. Uh, I told you last night, I've been around Pentecost forever. My goodness. Uh, I'm way older uh, inside than I look on the outside. How's that? Okay. Uh, Some of you may not think that. But anyway, it's true. Uh, And in Pentecost, sometimes when we start to talk about holiness, uh, some of the guys in years past, I grew up in this, and some of the guys are like, oh, I guess I'll check out. Pastor's going to talk to the ladies. It's like, no, you moron. No, pastor's going to talk to you, too, because holiness is not just about one gender. Holiness is not just about some of God's people, but not all of God's people. And, and so uh, last night we talked about this, that in Scripture, men are commanded all the time, it happens all the time, to act holy, holy in their actions. And, and so he says right here, I would that men pray everywhere. In other words, guys, your faith should be on public display. There should be no question among your friends that you're a Christian. There should be no question in your family that you're a Christian. There should be no question when you're on the job that you're a Christian. I would that men pray everywhere. Somebody say everywhere. Lifting up holy hands. Now, I'm going to give you three words, and because I'm a preacher, preachers do this crazy thing called alliteration. They think it's more spiritual or something. So they're all going to, they're all going to begin uh, with, with uh, A, okay? So, because Canadians say A, but it's E-H, okay? Uh, so A, they're going to begin. That's the first time I've ever said something that dumb. Uh, so A, okay, here we go. So, so the first A for the guys is... Appetite. Everybody say appetite. Appetite's not just food. That's a good thing because I see Shipley's Donuts out there. Uh, appetite is the appetites of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. Now, what's a lust? We say lust and we think sexual, but lust isn't just sexual. Uh, your, your flesh, male and female, but especially men, it seems, have trouble in this area, that, that the appetites of the flesh... Uh, you have normal appetites. There's an appetite of ambition in you. That's good. God gave you that. There, there's uh, the appetite uh, for all kinds of things. Uh, and one of the appetites is is the sexual 
appetite, if we want to say it that way, that you're, you're given God-given desires. Now, here's what happens. If that ever gets out of control, that normal appetite becomes a lust. And all a lust is, and it's not just sexual, it's in every area. Uh, a lust is an out-of-control appetite. And it can turn somebody into something that's perverted from God's plan. We see that all the time, okay? Uh, just the appetite for pleasure alone is what leads to alcoholism, drug abuse. Nobody does drugs because they want to end up in a ditch. No, nobody drinks because they want to end up in rehab. They do it for pleasure. And the appetite for pleasure, which is normal, gets out of control and becomes a lust for pleasure. And then people do things that hurt themselves. Now, the Bible says, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Guys, we got to get the appetites of the flesh in check. That's Women can have problem in this area, but it's not their primary struggle. It's a guy's primary struggle. So before he ever says anything to the ladies, he talks to the guys. So everyone say appetite. So guys, you can't come into the presence of God and just do Pentecostal calisthenics and fake everybody out. You've got to really lift up holy hands, hands that are not defiled by out-of-control appetite. Secondly, he says, uh, lifting up holy hands without wrath. Here's the second A. Everyone say anger. Anger is a problem area for men in our society. I mean, just read the stats. It's off the charts with guys. Are there angry women? Yes, there are angry women. But not, that's not a primary uh, area that God addresses. It's, it's not that somebody couldn't have a problem if they're of the female gender. They can get angry. But men tend to take anger to a whole different level. And, and, and you read the stats about your uh, country. You've got jails filled with men who started out as angry men, angry about their father, angry about their parents, angry about life, angry about their job. And, 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 and just, you don't have to take my word for it. Read the media for any period, a week, a month, a year, and just do the stats on men versus women that got in trouble because of anger. There's no comparison. So, so God says, guys, before we talk to the ladies, we're going to talk to you. And, 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 and here's the thing. You've got to get anger under control because this idea of coming into the house of God and pretending to be little Mr. Christian and then you go home and you're a brute. When I was a pastor in a different city than where I am now. I was uh, in St. John, New Brunswick for about eight years. Great church there and I, I got to be a, an associate pastor there. And uh, I remember this one guy that we dealt with. He was a young man, sharp young guy, had a good job. Uh, but he had an out-of-control anger problem. And, and literally, uh, he... he we only really started to find out about the depth of it when their marriage started to break up. And she was leaving, period. Uh, we tried to talk to her. She's a precious young lady. Tried to talk to her. Nothing doing. And we came to find out that he would go home from service. And at service, he was just acting like a normal Christian guy, church member guy, you know, whatever. But he would go home and he would just lose it over stupid stuff. And one time, she just out of control. She put her shoes in the wrong place in the closet. And he was one of these like perfectionists, like OCD people. And, and, and she, he told her to move them and she, she didn't want to move them. And he grabbed her head by the back of her head and pushed her head in the closet and just lost it. And that was the final straw. That was a man that had an out of control anger problem. And God knows that with men, that's an issue. So, guys, boy, it's quiet in here this morning, isn't it? Uh, 
near the air conditioner. Um, here, here's the thing. God says, guys, don't you be trying to fake it out. Don't try to fake it out with your holy hands. You really be holy in your actions. Private, public, both the same. Uh, and, and you really be holy in this anger issue. That's a holiness issue for men. Don't you be telling the ladies they should or they shouldn't before you get a hold of your anger problem. Okay? So that's a word to apostolic men. And then he says, without wrath and doubting. Uh, now, doubting, that word there just means uh, kind of, t- you know, the, the world's attitude that's very skeptical and cynical and whatever. So so we're going to use this word because we have to have an A, right? Apathy. Everybody say apathy. Apathy means to be disinterested, to be uh, unplugged, to be uh, disconnected, to be kind of casual about things. And, and you're not really intense about it. And men more than women struggle with this in church. If you look at a lot of churches this size, I am so thrilled to see all the guys here today. Because if you look at a lot of churches this size, it's a little group. I'm talking about a traditional denominational church. It's a little group of little old ladies and children. And and you're missing the guys. Now, here's the statistics. If a child leads the way in serving God in their family, in other words, the child is the one that comes to church. Maybe they get picked up by a neighbor and they're brought on a bus or whatever. If a child leads the way in serving God in their family, 3.5% of those families will end up in the church. 3.5%. If a woman, a wife, a mom, if she leads the way in serving God, um, 17% of those families will end up in the church if the wife or the mom leads the way in serving God. If a dad, a husband, the man of the house, the leader of his home, if he is a real Christian, if he leads the way in serving God, and if he brings his family to church, you know how many of those families end up in church? 93% of those families end up serving God. So the role of the man, and it's not a chauvinist thing, it's just the way God created us, and we'll talk about that as we go along. But guys, our relationship with God is really important, and that's why the devil fights it so much. And so what he'd like to do, men have a skeptical nature. They, they say that, that uh, uh, women are right-brained, That means that they're very intuitive. That's why we call it women's intuition. Uh, And psychologists study this. Uh, Women are right-brained, and so they sense things. It drives guys crazy uh, because they can pick up on something, and we're, like, totally clueless. And and they're right, and that's what drives us crazy because they're always right. They're right-brained. Guys are left-brained. Ladies, not lame-brained. Left-brained, okay? Left-brained is they're more calculated. They're more logical in in. Studies show this. If you do those uh, uh, tests in school, you know, you you go through and and I don't know what grade you guys do them down here, but uh, you go through and you do all this stuff and it grades classes and all that stuff. Uh, Guys do better, even even boys do better on anything that's spatial that they're trying to figure out, like how does this diagram look if you spin it twice and you turn it upside down? And guys get it right most of the time. And ladies are like, why would you spin it? You know, it's just they're, they're different. It's not they're wrong or they're less. They're just different. And and uh, and if you're shopping for a house, if you've ever shopped for a house with your wife, oh, that'll drive you crazy. Uh, you know, because the guy, he's like measuring the drain spouts and making sure of the drainage and, and whatever. She just walks in the front door and goes, nope. And you know what? She's right. That's the whole thing. Later, you'll find out she was right. 
and, and then, you know, she walks in another house, and before he even gets his measuring tape out, she's like, yep, this is it. It's women's intuition. Guys are more logical and calculated, but men, let me tell you something. The logic and, and the ability to see through a scam and all that stuff that you use for your family and your job and the ability to be very cutting edge in the boardroom or on the factory floor or wherever you work, and you can see a fraud a mile away, and you're skeptical, and you do that for your family. You don't want to get taken, and that's a good thing. But that same cold, calculated logic that serves you well in the business world, that is not the foundational principle of the kingdom of God. Here, it's a walk of faith. And, and, and I see this sometimes. Guys that come in and they just kind of check out when we do anything that's faith or anything that's emotion. Because they're scared to death to show emotion. My goodness. And, and I think that's so cool about apostolic men because we've grown up enough to know that, you know what, when it's time to worship, it's time to lead in worship, not just kind of check out and let the ladies do it. And, and, and there's something that's different about that. And so Paul tackles it right here. Guys, you got to get a handle on three areas. Uh, and first of all, I want you to do this everywhere. Uh, this isn't just for church. Uh, this is for everywhere, family, job, public, friends. This is for everywhere. And here's your areas that you need to tackle. Before we even talk to the ladies, I would that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Everyone say appetite. Get your appetites, the appetites of your flesh. Get them under control. Don't let them keep you at some subpar, subnormal level as a Christian. Number two, without wrath. Everyone say anger. Get a handle on anger, guys. Do not be this angry man. That's a worldly man. The Bible says in one scripture, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. You can't get a godly result through a wrong means. So get rid of your anger. Get a handle on your anger. By the way, there is a godly anger. The Bible says, be ye angry. For some people, that would be their life verse. If you could just take those three words. But, but it doesn't just stop there. Be ye angry and sin not. Here's how you do that. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Clean it out of your system every day. Do not go. Married guys, don't go to bed angry at each other. Some of you stay up all night. But don't go to bed angry. Clean that list off. Because an angry man can't get a godly result in his home. So get a handle on can handle on anger. And number three, everyone say apathy. Don't be this disconnected, cynical, always trying to look through. And no, there's things in this kingdom that you have to take by faith. It's like the faith of a little child, Jesus said. So, so that's what we need to do. So that's the man. And then Paul says in verse 9, in like manner also. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Now, here's why. You say, well, you just did the men's stuff in just a few minutes. Why are we going to spend the rest of the day on the ladies' stuff? Here's why. Because nobody that's got a brain is saying to our guys in any denomination, go ahead and be angry, go ahead and be lustful, let your appetites get out of control, and go ahead and check out, and you just be a cynic and stupid. And what Nobody's teaching that. However, because our society has become so sensual and sexual and lust-crazed, uh, be, because that's happened, the ladies' issues of holiness, which deal more with appearance than action in the Bible, they have come under incredible fire. 
In fact, you know, we have the term from warfare, friendly fire. You know who's shooting at these the most? It's not the world. It's the other church groups and the other Christians that they want to look like the world so they don't stick out like a sore thumb when all the time Jesus said, uh, you need to do your good works. Let your light so shine where? Before men. And so we're supposed to be different. But guys... Before we do, so we're going to spend a lot of time with the ladies' issues because we don't have any trouble explaining. It's just common sense why the guys shouldn't be angry and why the guys shouldn't be lustful and why the guys shouldn't check out spiritually and be cynical and apathetic and, and disinterested. We don't have any trouble explaining that. But sometimes because uh, so many church groups, if we were 100 years ago, there's no problem. But today... The media has led the charge in, in making us all think that if we don't act like Hollywood, look like Hollywood, think like Hollywood, that we're weird. I just got to tell you, Hollywood is weird. Those people can't keep a marriage together for six months. Some of them couldn't keep one together for six weeks. They're checking in and out of rehab constantly, and they're publicists. They kind of keep as much of that hidden as they can, but eventually it all comes out. Those people are just weird and whacked out. They, they just they can't live a normal life. And, 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 and by the way, I apologize for Justin Bieber, okay? I know he's Canadian, okay? I'm sorry. We can't do anything about that. If you hadn't taken him in the first place, it wouldn't have been a problem. Okay, sorry. And he's not from my province. Okay, so anyway, whatever. It's just us, right? Uh, so, so, so here's the deal. Because we're taking our cues from media, that's why we need to talk about the ladies' issues at length. Because sometimes you feel like a freak just trying to explain why at your church you don't do that. Because there's so many church people that it's just not a big deal anymore for them to look and, and take their cues and their fashion cues and everything from the world. And so sometimes you just feel like a freak trying to explain that why we don't do that. And so scripturally, we're going to look at that. We're going to try to look at it in detail so that you've got some scriptures and you've got some answers and you yourself understand it. So as we look into these details, uh, we are not saying that we think we're more spiritual than anybody else. If you were here last night, this is about growing in the Lord. And God loves all his children equally. And if you've been here for 60 years or 60 minutes and you're a child of God, God loves you the same. But he wants us to grow into this. So he wants us to understand this. And we want us to understand this uh, so we know why we're doing what we're doing. It's not just Pentecostal tradition. It's in the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God, we have to deal with it. If it's not in the Word of God, we just ignore it. You can do whatever you want. But if it's in the Word of God... We, we want to, to deal with it. So that's what we're going to talk about. So ladies, in like manner also, verse 9. So just the same as we're talking to the guys about action. Everybody say action. Because men are such a mess that God has to keep telling us, act holy, guys. Come on, smarten up. But in the same manner, we're going to talk to the ladies about appearance. Everyone say appearance. Why are we doing that? It's the way we're created. Talked about that last night. In, in general. Men in Scripture are commanded to act holy because when men act holy, women are not tempted to sin. In general and in culture. It's, it's different. Look, look at this. When women appear holy, why do you think there's so much skin exposed by Hollywood and by media? When women appear holy, men are less likely to be tempted. Now, I, I need to say something just by because sometimes uh, today... Even teaching this five years ago wouldn't have been uh, probably a question. But today, uh, there are women that are very lustful over 
men and, and whatever, and we see that in, in, in stuff on the media and stuff on the Internet and whatever and the way people talk. I've got to tell you that I think, and I think psychology would back me up, that's a created appetite in women. Men, it's, it's, it's from birth. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's in them to lust visually. But, but I think it's so sad what we've done. We've, we've brutalized women in our culture and tried to make them into men. And so we've told women through the media that if you're not some, uh, and, and I know we've got mixed ages and mixed, uh, I was going to say mixed marriages. That's not what I mean. Uh, we've got singles and marrieds and whatever. You know, that, that's what I meant. Uh, so, so we've got everybody in here. But let me say this. Our media is trying to turn women into men and, and tell them that if they're not some ravenous sexual animal, that they're not feminine or they're not sexy or they're not whatever. And, and really, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is such a lie. That is such a lie. And and so so we've created not only men that are... It used to be that men were visually addicted to pornography and women were... Uh, their problem area was in somebody like a relationship. Like women have to be very careful about old flames hitting on them on Facebook or on media or at the job because they're tempted by that relationship kind of thing. Uh, anymore, those things are starting to blend because of what the media is doing to us. We've tried to make women into, into female men and vice versa. And that's really, really sad. Uh, our cultures are spinning out of control. Um, it, it was on two or three websites. I, I, I usually daily look at two or three news websites, and I think two out of the three that I normally look at had something about what is the deal with all these naked reality shows right now. That's how low we've got as a culture that, you know, here we are talking about modesty today. And we're in a culture that that's what they're putting on television. Uh, that's that's unbelievable. I never thought, I honestly never thought, because uh, I've taught stuff like this for years, I never thought I would ever see the day in North America where we had on broadcast television in prime time uh, shows like that. And we call them reality TV. Now, there's an oxymoron for you. Reality television, that's an oxymoron. It's kind of like dead church. They just don't belong together. Um, okay, so so I just want to give that disclaimer because somebody might say, well, yeah, you're talking about how men are tempted in action and women are tempted in appearance and, and whatever. And I know some women that they act unholy or, or I know some women that struggle with men appearing unholy or whatever, and I understand that. But in general, from creation, this is our, our primary temptation areas. Men in action, and women instinctively know that if they appear immodest, it draws the attention of men. They know that from a very young age. Uh, it's it's amazing. Women instinctively know that their appearance affects men, and that's why the fashion designers and the stores and the media that's why they bend that way. Uh, guys still show up even in Hollywood in a suit. Women show up in some getups that are ungodly and unbelievable. Why? Because they instinctively know that that has an effect on the opposite gender. So, ladies, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves. Everyone say adornment. 
That's the first area we're going to talk about uh, for, for ladies, adornment. That they adorn themselves in modest apparel. Everyone say apparel. With shamefacedness and sobriety. Now there, that's an attitude. That's not a particular uh, outward thing, but yet it has an outward uh, form. Everyone say attitude. So shamefacedness and sobriety, that's an attitude of submission. Not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but adorn yourself which becometh women professing godliness with good works. So three areas for the ladies that we're going to talk about this morning. And again, I, I want you to understand why we'd spend more time. It's because these areas have been attacked and mocked even by Christian groups. That, you know, that's just old fogey and old fashioned. So that's why we're spending some time here. So ladies, everyone say adornment. That's the way women decorate themselves. Apparel, everyone say apparel. That's the way women clothe themselves. And attitude, uh, everyone say attitude. That's uh, primarily talking about a woman's attitude of submission. Boy, has that got shot down. But everybody in Scripture is called upon to be submitted to somebody. We're called as Christians to be submitted to our spiritual leadership. In the home, wives are uh, commanded to be submitted to their husbands. But husbands are commanded to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her. He died. He gave that much of himself. So, guys, it's not this male chauvinist, you got to submit to me. It, it's, it's in a context of mutual submission. Watch this. Children are told in Scripture to submit to their parents. Parents are told, don't provoke your kids to wrath. So it's mutual submission. Slaves, which, you know, in Bible times, half the world was enslaved to the other half of the world in Roman Empire times. But slaves, just think about it in the context of employees. And some of you, that's not strange because you think your boss is like a slave master. Anyway, so, so, so slaves, everybody say slaves, submit to your masters. But then it says, masters, treat your slaves like brothers in Christ. So it's mutual submission. So this idea of submission is a woman not being downtrodden. And by the way, ladies, nowhere in Scripture are you told you have to submit to every man. That's not what Scripture says. It says submit to your husband. If you're unmarried, it would be to your father in the home as your parent. So, so that's the context. It's the context of the home. Scripture does not teach. We do not teach. The church does not teach that women are submitted to men or they're inferior to men. And, and that's so ironic because you would think, listening to the media in North America, that that's what we teach. Those stupid church groups, those fundamentalist Christians, they teach that women are inferior and whatever. No, we don't. In fact, go to any culture on the face of the earth where Christianity has not penetrated, and you'll find that women are treated like property, like cattle. They are, you talk about downtrodden, that's where it happens. It's ironic to me that we live in a culture because of Christianity where women are free compared to all these other cultures and religions on the earth, and yet it's us that we get people on TV, the talking heads, telling us how Christianity, uh, that women are downtrodden by Christianity. Yeah, you know what? Uh, uh, it's just us, right? Oprah, go ahead and move to a Muslim country and then get on TV and say that. Don't, don't say that here. Because the only reason you have all your money and your TV program and all of that business is because you live in a country that was founded on Christian principles and you didn't grow up over there. So, so, so let's get this straight. Christianity does not push women in the dirt. 
Jesus was the first person in any culture in ancient history to lift women up and treat them as equals, and he got in trouble for it. And the church in the New Testament treated women as equals. In fact, we'll talk about that this morning. It actually created some some societal problems for them because people looked at them as weird because they treated children like they had value. And nobody else did. They treated women like they were equal to men in the church and nobody else did. And so Christianity is not anti-women. Christianity is the first women's liberator ever in any culture. And we still are. The Bible says very plainly, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, bond nor free, Jew nor Gentile. We're all on the same footing with God. But when it comes to the home and when it comes to order, women are told to submit to their husbands or if they're unmarried to their fathers. And, of course, that's talking about people in the faith. And so that's attitude. So everybody say adornment, apparel, and attitude. Attitude is going to get very specific, and we're going to talk about this last this morning after our break. But attitude, the way a woman can express her submitted attitude best is in what she does uh, with her hair, believe it or not. And Scripture talks about that, so we'll talk about it. Now, again, I want to say very clearly that if you're new and you've just come to church, this is not something where we've got a, a list and you got to do this. No, it's not got to do this. Um, You know, I I, I look at maturity. We talked about that last night. When you first come to God, uh, it's kind of like, do I have to? Because it's new to you, right? And then you live for God a little longer and you start to morph in your attitude and you say, it's not do I have to, it's I want to. But then as you continue to grow in the Lord and you see all the other people's lives fall apart and you see uh, children grow up and, and you see Christians develop and you watch people grow in the Spirit and grow in the Lord, finally you come to this. It's not, I have to, and it's not even, I want to anymore. Somewhere the attitude changes and you say, I get to do this. It's, it's not, I have to, or even just, I want to. I get to do this. God Uh, He teaches me that these things keep me protected and keep me separated unto him, and they bless my life. And so if you're new, we're going to look at this for two ways. If if, if you already do these things, this is going to help you understand why scripturally you do them. If you don't do them, this is not like some big boatload of condemnation from the Canadian. That's not what that is. Uh, This is, here's why the people around you in this church do this because it's in the scripture and we're not saying you have to go out of here today and sign like some big legal document and sign your life away that's not what this is about this is about why do we do this because if it's in the scripture we want to know right and that's what today's about okay so let's talk about this first area for ladies uh which deals with appearance and that is the area of adornment now to adorn simply means to beautify or decorate with ornaments God adorns the heavens with the stars. Uh, God adorns the earth with color. God could have made everything we eat green. Thank God he didn't do that. My wife's into green smoothies. I, I Like, really, there's got to be something in the Bible against that. And when I find it, I'm going to preach it. But anyway, whatever. Uh, so there's nothing wrong with adornment. God created color. God created the stars. So God does adorn his world. But the Bible also makes it very clear that because of women's unique 
temptation zones from their creation. And, and they instinctively know as a female the, the impact that adornment has on men. Sometimes women desire to adorn themselves in ways that don't please God. So even though the idea of adorning is okay, there's proper adorning, there's godly adorning, and there's improper adorning. Now, let me tell you why we do what we do. A second passage I want to take a look at in the New Testament is in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Now, remember Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Ladies, here's what you need to do. Let the women in like manner also, the women adorn themselves, modest apparel, blah, blah, blah. That's 1 Timothy. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of Ephesus, a metropolitan church. He's dealing with Gentiles. Peter writes to the Jews, and in this scripture, he's actually writing to Christian women in the context of the home. He's not talking about the church. He's talking about Jewish Christians, people that have become Christian out of Judaism. They've got Jewish background. So we're talking Gentiles over here, Jews over here. We're talking... uh, Timothy over here. We're talking Peter writing over here. We're talking the church over here. We're talking the home over here. So I want to show you that uh, standards, what we call holiness standards, they were identical basically in the New Testament church in every context. It wasn't just Paul. Some people talk about Paul and some of his writings as if, well, that's just for uh, that church or that culture or that city. No, these were universal things taught by the New Testament church. Look what Peter says. 1 Peter 3 verse 1. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. So there's that submission thing. That if any obey not the word, they're not Christians even, they may also without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Anybody remember from last night what that word conversation means? Lifestyle. So even an unbelieving husband, by seeing the godly lifestyle of his wife, he can be won to the Lord by watching her lifestyle. Ladies, if you're here and you're serving God alone right now and your husband doesn't come to church, please don't go home and hit him over the head with a 15-pound Bible and start quoting Scripture to him and be like, you should go to church, you lazy sloth. Get off the couch. and don't, don't do that. Just live your life in front of him. The Bible says without the word, it's not you preaching to him that's going to do it. It's you living this in front of him that's going to do it. He will be one to the Lord. Now watch. Verse 2. While they behold your chaste conversation, your holy lifestyle, coupled with fear. Fear meaning reverence. Even though he's not a Christian, you respect him. Even though he's not a Christian, uh, you you uh, serve him as a godly wife in that home. Even though he's not a Christian, uh, you hold him in high regard. And, and you don't put him down because he's not a Christian. We're talking about, uh, over here we were talking about the church. Paul writing to Timothy with Peter. We're talking about a wife in an unsaved home. Like, her husband's not even saved, but she's living this lifestyle in front of him. And, and, and Peter says, you know, if they behold your holy lifestyle and it's coupled with respect for them, they're going to be impacted by this. Look, look at this. Um, verse 3. Who's adorning? Let it not be that outward adorning. Everyone say adornment of plating the hair and wearing of gold and putting on of apparel. Everybody say apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. Somebody say attitude, which is in the sight of God of great price. So watch this. Over here, Gentile, church, Paul writing to Timothy, Metro Ephesus, uh, you know, all of that business, talking to to saved women about their lifestyle. Uh, That's the standards for the New Testament church. Over here, uh, Peter, who deals with Jewish 
Christians. Uh, he's not talking about the church culture. He's talking uh, to Jewish uh, believers that have now become Christians. And he's talking about in the home. He's not even talking about the church. He's talking about an unsaved husband, how the wife should live. Watch, standards are the same across cultures and in different circumstances in the New Testament church. This isn't just one unique scripture. This was the policy and this was the doctrine and the teaching and the lifestyle of the New Testament church. So let's look at this first word again, adornment. Adornment speaks specifically to ladies about two things mostly. It's the way they decorate themselves. And for our ladies, that would be uh, jewelry, and makeup, those two areas, because that's the way they would decorate themselves. Apparel deals with what you uh, clothe yourself with, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but here's why we do what we do and why we teach what we teach. Uh, it's not because we're trying to be odd. It's because we want to honor what God says. Um, now, jewelry, well, let's talk about that for a second. Jewelry was originally a blessing from God. You can't miss that reading the Old Testament. Uh, the Bible says that Abraham was wealthy in silver and gold. Uh, God told Israel to take uh, the jewels of the Egyptians the night they left uh, captivity from Egypt. And so that was God's blessing on them. So how do we reconcile that with the New Testament telling ladies, uh, don't adorn yourself with that? How do we reconcile those two? Well, in the Old Testament, jewelry was a blessing from God because jewelry was used, gold and silver and jewels, was used as currency. They didn't have, like, cold, hard American cash. They had uh, trade, the barter system. So when Israel left Egypt on the night they were set free, Passover night, and they came out of Egypt, here's what's so cool about that, uh, they spoiled the Egyptians. They loaded up with the Egyptian jewelry and gold and silver. In one night, God gave them back pay for 430 years of slavery. That's pretty cool. And they came out of Egypt. So, so uh the reason God did that is because now on their journeys, they had money to spend because it was the barter system. They'd been slaves for 430 years. They had no money. They would have died. They couldn't trade with anybody for anything, but God blessed them with currency was why jewelry was looked at at a blessing. However, this disturbing trend began to develop. You can trace it. You start in Genesis, and you start reading through the Old Testament, and by the time you get to the prophets at the end of the Old Testament, they are just raving and ranting and railing about jewelry because God's people started to become like worldly people. They began to take the blessing of God, and they began to use these Egyptian jewels to decorate themselves. And that's when God began to call his people to repentance. Uh, it comes to a crisis point in two chapters, Exodus 32 and 33. You can write that down for later, but Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments, and while he's up there, they get tired of waiting, and they melt down all the jewels that they've taken from Egypt, and they make a stupid golden calf, and then they do even something even dumber. They begin to worship that calf, and God gets really angry because Israel has turned into an idol the blessings of God. And Moses goes back up to the mountain again, and he pleads with God to forgive their sins. And God talks to Moses, and here's what God says. This is an unbelievable conversation. God says, Moses, I made Israel a promise that I would take them to the promised land. I'd get them there. But you know what? They've been so rebellious. They've taken the customs and the practices of the sinful Egyptians, and they began to use them for themselves. And so I'm so angry at them that I'm not going with you to the promised land. I'll send my angel, and my angel will make sure you get there. 
I'm not going with you because if they rebel against me again like this, I'll wipe them all out. So I'm not going with you. Now, Moses is amazing because he has this big standoff with God. This is amazing to me. Moses said, God, if you're not going with us, we're not setting one foot off this place. We're staying right here. And, and the, if you read the conversation, there's one place where Moses is talking to God, and there's this big, long dash in the Bible that doesn't happen very much. It's not this little hyphen. It's this big, long dash. It's in your Bible. That's where Moses just stands and stares at God and waits. It's amazing. The Bible's a cool book. You should read it. Uh, it it's, it's, it's amazing. So, so Moses and God, they have this little standoff, and, and here's the deal when they finally make some progress. God says to Moses, okay, I'll go with you. But in Exodus 33 and 4, God tells Israel, if you'll repent of your sins, and God commands them to take off their jewelry. Stop being like the Egyptians. Take off your jewels. Don't use those to adorn yourself. And, and then uh, God goes with them, Exodus 33, 4, and 5. So, so that's what happens. Um, it's, it's a lot of different places in Scripture. Uh, if, if you look at the tabernacle and later the temple, how do they get all the gold for the tabernacle? They take the jewels from Egypt and they melt them down and they use it in the tabernacle. The Bible tells Israel that they are to give to the Lord any spoils from battle. Don't you take that and put it on. Don't you take that and use that to decorate yourself. You, you take that and you use it for me. That's Numbers 31 and 50. Here's an incredible uh, passage in, in the Old Testament. Now, you've got to watch this because by in Genesis and early in Exodus, jewelry is a blessing from God to his people because they're using it for money. But in Exodus and then later on, and just two or three books later, God's actually verbalizing, I don't like what you're doing with that jewelry you've got. Watch this. Deuteronomy uh, 7, verse 25. The graven images of their gods, you burn them with fire. You shall not desire the silver or gold that is on them. And watch this. And do not take it unto you. See that there? Do not take it unto thee, lest thou be snared therein, for it is an abomination to the Lord thy God. And so here's what happens. This growing trend, because human beings, especially the female gender, they want to decorate themselves. It attracts the attention of men. And so that's what happens. And God says, don't keep doing that. And, and, and he keeps telling his people, uh, I want you to take off your jewelry as a dedication to me. It happens throughout the Old Testament. It just keeps going over and over again. Now, the Bible doesn't condemn all jewelry because there's functional jewelry. Men like Judah and Joseph and Mordecai and Saul and Daniel wore jewelry, but in each case it was a functional use. The high priest of Israel wore a breastplate with special jewels on it. Uh, other men wore a signet ring, which was their way of stamping their signature in wax on a scroll document. So there was all kinds of things. Kings wore a crown. That was a jewelry that indicated authority. So because the Bible doesn't condemn those kinds of functional jewelry, we try to be balanced. Here's what we teach. And, and you've noticed this, so here's just why we do it. We don't condemn functional jewelry. Nobody's going to get in this pulpit and say, don't wear a wristwatch. Uh, nobody's going to get in this pulpit and say, don't wear a hair clip, ladies. Nobody's going to get in this pulpit and say, don't wear jewelry or, that, that's not, or don't wear uh, glasses that are kind of jeweled up. Don't wear 
brooches and whatever. But what we will do is say, don't wear things that are for the sole purpose of calling attention to you. Don't wear things that pattern yourself after what Israel did when they began to use all the jewels of the Egyptians. The Egyptians had jewels everywhere, in their nose and in their ears, and blah, 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 blah. And, and so that's why we see that in society. It's, it's not, that's not an American thing. That comes from ancient times. And God said, you know, there's functional things that we do, but, but don't wear jewelry just to decorate yourself. If it's functional, we'll... we'll and that's why we need... Spiritual leadership. Because it's like, well, pastor, is this appropriate? Do you feel like this is biblical? That's where you want to have a pastor you know prays and gets in touch with God because he'll give you some good guidance on those because uh, there's some murky areas. Is this decorative or is this functional? And your pastor is the best source of information. Not Woodward because he's not your pastor and he doesn't know. I've got a pastor friend that started a church. Uh, it's hundreds of people now. In fact, they've got a, a Spanish congregation that's uh, as large as their English congregation. Both, hundreds of people. He started a church, and when he started the church, um, he, he said, um, you know, I let the people do certain things in the realm of jewelry. Um, and he said, I just got up one Sunday morning, and I thought, oh, my goodness. He said people were raising their hands on the glare off the 17 rings on each hand. It was just like blinding in the lights in the sanctuary. He said, I thought, my goodness, we got a problem. Our people are just like, it was kind of in their culture in that particular state and in that particular area. And so he got up, and he was the founding pastor. He could do this. He said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to make a new standard governing jewelry. And this is a church standard. I, I can't find you a thou shalt not in the Bible, but this is a church standard. And so he gave them some very practical instruction on, on rings, because rings were just unbelievable in the church. That's why you want a pastor. Now, if something in you says, who does he think he is to tell me that? You've got the wrong attitude about this. It's if your pastor feels that this would be pleasing to God, then you need to listen. But in general, the Bible tells us that jewelry just for the sake of adornment alone, jewelry that does not have a functional purpose, it's solely to decorate your body, that's a no-no in Scripture. And that's why you'll see that. Uh, there, there's a lady in... You know, already know her name. There's a lady in the Old Testament that illustrates this really well. Anybody know her name? Yeah, yeah, Jezebel. Well, Jezebel, um, she was a queen in Israel, and, and, and she wore jewelry and, and makeup. She painted her face to try to tempt men. And, and she had such a, an impact on Israel that her spirit... I'm not talking about reincarnation, but just that spirit of sensuality and whatever that she was tied in. It's still causing problems for the church all the way over in the book of Revelation, years, hundreds of years, centuries after she's dead, Revelation 2, verse 20. Uh, so, so she has a lifelong connection with this idea of, of painting her face and adorning herself with jewelry. And, and so uh, the Bible talks about the spirit of Jezebel in the New Testament. It says, Jezebel seduces my servants to commit fornication, and that's why God had a problem with it. She just decorated herself to tempt men and to entice men. And so that's where we are as a church. We don't prohibit wearing a wristwatch. That would be a little ridiculous. Um, you know, some, you remember the um, conversation I told you about last night? It allegedly happened in New Brunswick, Canada. You know, the guy that had the conviction against deodorant? Like, that's crazy. Well, you know what? We don't teach against um, perfume or, you know, anything like that. 
Uh, now, if you've got allergies, we might teach you, like, don't wear so much because you're choking people to death. Uh, but but uh, other than that, like, we don't, we don't teach against perfume. You know why? Because the Bible never talks about the lust of the nose. It talks about the lust of the eyes. It's the visual temptation. And when we're wearing things that draw the attention, and, and, and this is amazing. There's videos online, uh, Dove Soap. Now, they've done it to promote their soap, but they've done some videos. You need to go look at them. Dove did one of a young lady, uh, the difference between her, and it does fast motion, and it shows uh, it's called transformation. You can look it up online. Uh, transformation, I think it's called, and it's Dove Soap, and it's this young lady sitting facing the camera, and it shows this uh, pretty but ordinary-looking young lady, and then it just goes rapid fire. And they're doing her hair, and they're making up her eyes, and they're making up her face, and they're putting jewelry on her, and, and whatever. And it shows that transformation. And then, pow, 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 it takes like 45 pictures and like that. And you can see the flash going off. And then they take her face, the pictures, they put it into Photoshop, and then they lengthen her neck, and they carve in her cheekbones, and they lift her eyes, and they you know widen this and narrow this and whatever. And then they show the last frame of that transformation commercial. They show... Uh, the billboard. The billboard doesn't even resemble that young lady. A lot of the stuff that, that we're looking at, it's not even real. And and yet it shows something that they want to highlight the sensual features of a pretty young lady's face to attract the eye of men, just like that. And that's why the Bible teaches us about not doing that. Um, if you go to the New Testament, people say, well, that's Old Testament, Jezebel or whatever. If you go to the New Testament, uh, it's, it's, it's very much the same. In fact, it's even stronger. The New Testament takes us toward these two women that culminate the book of Revelation. One is the bride of Christ adorned in pure white linen, unadorned. The pure white linen, the Bible says, is the righteousness of saints. And the other woman at the end of the New Testament is the, the world church, the mother of harlots. She's drunk on the blood of the martyrs, and she's decked out in fine purple and, and all these uh, colors. But not only that, she's got uh, jewelry and sensually attired, and she's got a painted face, and she's tempting the world. And really, that's the two women that the New Testament points us to. And the implication's obvious that we want to go this way, not that way. I'm going to close our first session this morning with uh, this scripture. Uh, this is a scripture that's not in the scripture. How's that? This is sort of like Bible, but it's not in the Bible. There's there's an ancient book uh, called the Book of Enoch. Uh, the Book of Enoch is not in the Bible. You won't find it there. But yet we've got copies of the Book of Enoch. Now, why would we read a scripture that's not in the scripture? Well, here's why. If you go to Jude, the book of Jude, it's only one chapter. In verse 14, Jude writes these words. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Now, we know Jude is inspired by God. Jude is included in your Bible. Jude is part of the anointed scripture. And Jude, right there, quotes the book of Enoch. So even though the book of Enoch isn't part of your Bible, even though it's not anointed scripture, it's not on par with the word of God, Jude obviously considered something in the book of Enoch to be factual, and so he quotes it. And, and so 
if he quotes it, we can say, well, that's not anointed scripture, but it must be factual information. Here's something else Jude quotes directly from the book of Enoch, verse 8. Likewise also, these filthy dreamers, he's talking about fallen angels in this passage, they defile the flesh, they despise dominion, they don't like authority, and they speak evil of dignities, they speak evil of authority. And so these filthy dreamers, he's talking about fallen angels, and he says, these fallen angels, they defiled humanity. What's he talking about? Now, Jude just references it, and he's quoting from the book of Enoch, knowing that everybody else in that era would would have access to the book of Enoch, which is not in the Bible. I'm not putting it on par with the anointed scripture. But I want to read you a passage from the book of Enoch. You can look this up online. It's Enoch chapter 8, verse 1 to 3. It's not in your Bible. You won't find it there. Uh, But the book of Enoch, Jude obviously thought it had some factual information. Let me read this to you. Enoch 8. Verse 1 through verse 3. The fallen angels taught men to make swords and knives and shields and breastplates and made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them. How did fallen angels defile humanity? Fallen angels taught men with their anger problem, taught men with their control issues. They taught men to take the metals of the earth and make weapons with them and destroy humanity by fighting and killing and anger and hostility. And that's how the fallen angels taught men, the male gender, to defile humanity. And Enoch considered that to be factual, and Jude quoted Enoch, so he considered it to be factual, that fallen angels, the wicked spirits, they got around humanity and they taught men to take the metals of God's earth and the metals of God's creation and make weapons. And what a tragedy that's been throughout all the years of human history and still is. But next phrase. They made known to them the metals of the earth and the art of working them. Watch. And bracelets and ornaments and the use of antimony and the beautifying of the eyelids and all kinds of costly stones and all coloring tinctures. The same fallen angels that taught the male gender to take the metals of God's creation and make weapons, the same fallen angels taught the female gender in God's creation to paint their faces and to take metals and gold and silver and and put it on their body. Why? Because when they drew the attention of men, that also defiled God's creation. And here's what Enoch 8 verse 3 says. And there arose much godlessness, and they committed fornication, and they were led astray and became corrupt in all their ways. And so that's why we put a border, a boundary, a fence, a guardrail. And we're not idiots about this. We don't act like freaks about this. But we say if jewelry has a functional purpose, then we would use it. But if it's just for decorating your body, then you're going to find your pastor says, "Uh, no, not pleasing to God. Why? Because of what Scripture says and because of what history uh, from the New Testament times teaches us about the use of jewelry. Now, when it comes to painting the face, which is what we call makeup, uh, there's no good uh, illustration from that in Scripture. And so that's why your pastor will say, don't do that. He's not trying to make you ugly. In fact, a a precious elder in in our uh, Canadian uh, church, uh, he was the 
superintendent of our Nova Scotia district. That's the province next to New Brunswick. He was the, the superintendent of that for many years. And uh, his name's John Min. And one day, uh, a reporter from the National Radio uh, Network, CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, was interviewing this precious elder and, and this lady, and she was getting kind of pushy about this whole idea of you Pentecostals, your women don't wear makeup. And like, you know, why don't why you put down women? And, and as only an elder could do, I, I know Brother Min person, he's a great friend of mine, has been for years. And, and I know that when he, when he was really loving on somebody, his eyes get all watery. And as only a precious elder could do, he looked back at that little reporter lady, and his eyes got all misty, and his voice kind of quivered, and he said, Oh, young lady. He said, we paint dead things. We paint barn doors and we paint houses. We don't paint a beautiful creation of God like you. You don't need that to be beautiful. Kind of ended the interview right there. Uh, so that's what we teach about adornment. Everybody say adornment. And that's not that we feel superior or more spiritual to somebody that doesn't understand it. But we feel like as we please God and he wants to be his spirit in our temple of our body, that we want to do exactly what he says. And so that's why your pastor teaches that if it's functional, we make allowance for jewelry, like a watch, uh, sometimes, you know, some kind of fastener or a hair clip or whatever. We're not crazy about that, but just jewelry for the purpose of adorning ourselves. That's why he says, <clears throat> because the Bible says, <clears throat> And why he teaches us as uh, Christians, he teaches our ladies, we don't paint our faces is not because he's trying to make you not beautiful. He's trying to say, stop looking at the world's standard of beauty and look at God's view of you. And God looks at you as beautiful when you're not mimicking the fashions of the world. And we're going to take a break. But guys, let me say something to you. Don't you sit here and amen Pastor Raymond while he's teaching you about this. And then you go home and you look at all those other women that have got all this stuff on and you don't honor your wife. Because if we're going to amen in church that she's beautiful without this, don't you get wandering eyes looking around at all this lustful stuff because then you're wrong and you have a holiness issue. And I just happen to believe that in Christ there's neither male nor female. God doesn't look at men as superior. But he does choose different roles for us. Thank you.